0: A one, a two, a three. In honor of Amsterdam, and Hocus Pocus 2, what's your favorite cinematic trio?
1: Um, that was a very good impression of that commercial. You're really taking me back there, Dave. I'm at Patches. I'm gonna go with uh the the Charlie's Angels movie version, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Lou, Cameron Diaz. I feel like we really maybe didn't know what we had there. We're really we were really underappreciating that maybe full throttle. Is probably better than we expected as it uh, went to full ecstasy. Um, and the reboot certainly didn't land. Feels like legacy sequel potential to the Charlie's Angels. Would, would watch, would watch.
0: Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I'm gonna go with Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather from Sleeping Beauty. Uh, their cakes, their dresses, all amazing, iconic, even.
2: And I'm David Erlich, and I'm gonna go uh, off the grid for this one, going to the wild and wacky world of television. Because for whatever reason, the first thing that came to mind was the trio of characters from Space Ghost, coast to coast. Space Ghost, Zoltar, and uh, Z- Zorak, Brack. sorry, and Moltar. Oh. Zorak, where's, his Where's name. Brack
1: in that equation? Brack is not part of the Space Ghost? He's
2: not part of the, like, the core triumvirate. It. Okay, okay. Like, He's on the
1: Brack Show. Yeah, the Brack Show. It's the Brack Show.
0: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, number 409, Pandemic 139, for the week of Wednesday, October 5th, and on that day in 1962, Doctor No, the first James Bond adaptation premiered in London. It starts with three blind mice, and the three blind mice are the assassins. I've watched Doctor No recently. It's,
1: it's a movie. And they never made another James Bond movie. There were no sequels. It had such potential.
0: Mm, yeah, if only I knew what would happen to James Bond uh, if he went to the moon, <laughs> or if there, if he was able to surf uh, on a tidal wave. I feel like there's, there's endless things for James Bond have, to do, really. Could have
1: been an amazing franchise.
0: Could have been an amazing franchise. Uh, this week, we uh, recorded this podcast in pieces, so you're going to hear uh, Patches, David and I, on most of the podcast, except for the tidbit segment which will be katie and i talking about hocus pocus 2 it's currently streaming on disney plus these guys dodged it did did either of you accidentally get caught up in hocus pocus 2 good god
1: no i mean is this the most misplaced millennial nostalgia play ever who cares about hocus pocus (laughs) are there people out there who are waiting for this
0: I think up through, like, 2012, Hocus Pocus was uh, making a million dollars a year in home video
1: what sales. You, I've been reading up about How are you pulling it. that figure out? Where are, you, where are you getting your information?
0: Well, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash DA7E and Neil, oh we did a whole Hocus Pocus podcast. Uh, but that's not important. Uh, what is important is we are here, and David's here, and we still have reviews banked, I believe. So let's, let's get some reviews. Uh,
2: we do. Uh, I'm sad that you and Katie aren't talking about Lyle Lyle Crocodile, though I guess that's not until next week.
0: It didn't uh, go Katie,
2: unmentioned. Katie, it didn't go unmentioned good, because Katie kind of like was uh, the Edward R. Murrow of uh, Javier Bardem's performance in Lyle, yeah. Lyle Crocodile, at least his look. Uh, so... She should weigh in on that. Katie's actually, as you guys may also have to, touched upon when you recorded last night, she's in New York right now. She could just be sitting next to me at my computer. Uh, yes. But no, she's out tarring it up. Yeah, she I and I were, uh, were across the street from one another tonight. And yet I did not see her. Anyway, um, <laughs> where do we leave off? Uh, right. We have a delightful surprise from Hair H-E-R-R-E, 124 who says it was a delightful surprise to see Joanna Robinson join the podcast last week. I've missed to see Joanna join the podcast last week. Where is this person, Joanna? Be very, very careful. I've missed (laughs) hearing Katie and Joanna podcast together. Also for Katie, I listened to that episode of my flight home from London where I had arrived hours before the queen died last week. So that made for an interesting vacation. Oh boy. Thanks for putting out an episode when you were all super busy and special thanks to Katie and Dave for actually showing up for it. Just a general note, if you're still on the queue to see the Queen's body or pay respects whatever that was for, uh, in the event that that they have not broken up the queue, which I would hope by this point they have, (laughs) listening to 500 episodes Fighting in the War Room is a great way to kill the time. Um, If you see the twins from The Shining waiting with you or I'm trying to think of any other celebrities who responded on the line, although I think calling the twins from The Shining celebrities is probably a stretch uh anyway good place to listen to this podcast maybe the best place to listen to this podcast Yeah. Um, and also
0: this week despite people everybody being busy we all we all made an effort to show up yeah uh, some weeks uh, it's 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 random and then if you get yeah. stuck with patches and i we cancel the show so Ugh, the worst that's the only combination Truly. we can't do anymore.
2: Uh, Noah F.S. says, An utter delight. Hi, Fighting in the War Room, folks. What a lovely show. Been a listener for about six months, and Fighting in the War Room has now become one of my weekly podcast staples. Some fun asides. Your mention in the 3,000 Years of Longing episode of Daniel Quinn's book, Ishmael, Made My Heart Sing. That's one of my <laughs> favorite texts. That was me. Turns out the Venn diagram of A, your listenership, and B, bookish anti sivs has officially <laughs> randomly formed David has inspired me to start listening to the music of Bjork. And for this I am eternally grateful. Oh, wow. You officially have a convert. Birthday and big time sensuality are going to be played at my funeral or something one of these days, I swear. Well, hopefully more or something in your funeral. Uh also yeah. should mention, of course, uh, Bjork's new album, Fasora, is now available to download or purchase.
1: Enter uh, code, uh bitwork, <laughs> Enter code. When yeah, David <laughs>
2: Katie just brings solid takes and supremely chill-friendly vibes What more can I say? Nothing better Dave has, oh, things are about to get steamy in here, folks Dave has, dot dot dot, a hot voice and then a blushing emoji And I am a fan of how Patches has recently taken to just abbreviating his curse words by first letter As if he's a wholesome but edgy middle schooler This is not a jab, I actually find the habit sincerely hilarious I guess you probably Uh,
0: said what the F at some point That That sounds like something you would say.
2: Yeah. On a related prompting note for the hosts, what are y'all's favorite curse words to hear spoken in a movie? Thanks for everything. Much love Noah. And then a little heart.
1: Anyone's favorite. Can I say them? I mean, usually words that I would never say. Oh, I'll be, I'll be Frank. I like hearing British people say cunt. Hmm.
2: Patches, you just, really, really teed you up to just say the C word here, but... I would never say you know. that. I should have said I the C word. Oh,
1: God. They gave a review where I, I, they loved me saying the first letter of curse words, and then they went and said that. Oh, boy.
0: <laughs> Real cross wires there. I was just going to go with Irish.
1: Irish. I like it
0: when the Irish curse.
1: Oh, any Irish word.
2: <laughs> any Irish curse word, yeah. Uh, hmm. I mean, Patches' answer... Which uh, uh, is a good one. I mean, I think there's just the exoticism of hearing British, British. It cussing. seems to be
1: thrown around more in in the yeah. UK. I mean, I, I think
2: I, I think there's some vested interest in making that word taboo, less taboo, as long as it sort of sands off the inherent misogyny of it. Um, I wouldn't mind it being a little bit less. I mean, it's a word that, like, I as someone who has never been shy about swearing would still think twice about using in that conversation. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it does, it does feel like it's having a bit of a resurgence or a surge. It's I don't know, Uh, but it's a good one. Okay. And finally, we have a review from Olivia guns. uh, Who says like stepping into a time capsule in the best way. I started listening to (laughs) fighting in the world in 2015. (laughs) I know, but they, Olivia guns started listening to us in 2015 So she put in the time. And since then, I've listened to nearly every episode, enjoyed hours, Olivia, dare I say, weeks of what feels like time with my friends. Though the weirdness of parasocial relationships is not lost on me. Side note, Olivia, you can be in as much of a parasocial relationship with us as you want. It's the only kind of extramarital relationships any of us are getting right now. So uh, get in there. We're Um, like the try guys now with this parasocial relationship. Oh, boy. I just, just when we started recording, I saw the Try guys have posted their like explainer video of what happened. Oh, yeah. I not oh, wait for us. To it, finish was, recording it was up a whole
0: watch. three minutes before I watched <laughs> it. And then the funny thing is right after it, it's, it feeds into the next video, which try guy is the best boss?" And I'm like, oh, I feel oh, like no. you just told me
2: Well, I think short of like building shrines or having any designs and hurting us or our loved ones, we are all the way down for parasocial relationships. Just keep it nice.: we want love. Uh, recently, I went through what I would describe as a long term relationship ending. What is the fuck is happening with all of our listeners having like it's terrible a, psychic somatic, damage romantic, from the pandemic? And so and, yeah. oh, I thought and... you were going to say psychic damage from our podcast. OK, uh... no, we're the healing. We're the ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are we the healing or are we causing the these, uh, these? I relationships feel like we're,
0: we're more like that. The Fern Gully fairy hands that go around the seed that just sort of help it along. I don't think we are solely healing That's anything. Right.
2: If you say so. Anyway, poor Olivia went through a long-term relationship ending, getting fired, double sucker punch. Oh, sorry, Olivia. One of the best pieces of advice I received in the immediate aftermath was to immerse myself in some comforting media I enjoyed before I knew my previous partner. I turned to fighting in the war room, and between my heated disagreements from Patches, validation from Katie, smug points from David, and fascinating info dumps from Dave, I somehow found a way to rebuild my life. Your conversations kept me connected to the outside world and gave me something to look forward to. Uh, sorry for the long review—not that long at all—but uh, I just wanted you four to know that your work and, weirdly, your friendship means a lot to me, and I hope you keep doing it for as long as it makes you happy. See, Olivia, the beauty of this parasocial relationship is that it will never crumble before your eyes, um, unless you know we yeah, say don't make any terrible. promises. Yeah, <laughs> or David Patches has <laughs> the show again. Uh, <laughs> but we, you know, in the immortal wards of Waystar Royco, we here for you. Thank you for listening. Here's to seven more years of helping anyone out who needs helping. Uh, okay. That's the reviews. Go on iTunes. Leave us a review of fighting the war room. Tell us about how we uh, pulled you back from the brink after your worst <laughs> moments of your life. Or conversely, how we pushed you to the brink, causing the worst moments of your life. Either is valid fighting the war room on iTunes, or you can email us. If you're not in the U S we will find your emails at,
0: F-I-T-W-R at gmail.com. Do it! And otherwise, uh, let's uh light the black flame candle and hear what Katie and I have to say about Hocus Pocus too. You cooling man, you send you up freezing cool and I so oh, Alright! <laughs>
3: Hello, it's me. It's Katie Rich. I'm popping in for a segment, as I've been told. You'll have been warned that I'll be here. Uh, Real magic of time travel happening on this week's episode, so thank you to Dave. Um, I don't know how this segment has been introduced, but Dave and I are going to talk about Hocus Pocus 2, a movie that I, I was fully planning to ignore until we came up with it as a possible solution for how to have a segment on this week's podcast, and I was like, okay, fine. It is you weren't in- waiting in
0: anticipation for the sequel so, to Hocus Pocus?
3: Okay, so Hocus Pocus 1 comes out in 1993. I was um, nine years old. Like, I should have been the target audience Hocus Pocus. I definitely saw it. I was, like, familiar with Hocus Pocus. But, like, Casper meant way more mm-hmm. to me in terms of, like, kid-friendly spooky movies from that era um like nightmare before christmas i think meant more to a lot of people um i don't know hocus pocus kind of like skipped me in some way um oh interesting and i had a friend who lived in salem for a while so we went i went to salem for halloween twice uh when i was in my 20s and we watched hocus pocus one of those times so like i kind of like caught up with it that way but yeah i don't know did you have a hocus pocus uh history yeah
0: we had uh one of those uh blockbuster families mm-hmm. uh where we would rent a ton of shit all the time oh yeah and i mean we sort of October came around it was hocus pocus time but i do i don't think i saw it in theaters that would have been yeah. i think i would have been a little young for that
3: yeah i don't think i did. although again nine like it feels like that's exactly
0: the yeah age it would... probably would have worked i mean the first one felt more slanted towards younger kids but then also like
3: but also all about virgins. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. Balancing a little bit of that uh for adult humor, whatever yeah. we called it then.
3: Yeah, I mean that genre of like live action kid movies with some real danger, like existed much more than it does now when we were kids. You know, like I watched Blank Check the movie with my kids a little while ago, and that movie is nuts and not very good. But it just like that type of like movies about actual human kids doing like stuff in the present day, like there's just not very much of it. I guess Low crocodiles coming around the corner to to pick pick that up um but it makes perfect sense to me that this would be on disney plus now as opposed to in theaters right
0: yeah yeah i mean it does sound it feel like what it is which is a very early thing disney plus did to juice subscribers outside of its star wars and marvel did they like realms
3: was this like an early original disney plus launch thing like has it just been around for a long time? I, I think they announced it around launch, uh,
0: but obviously had to, you know, like film it and complete it and line it up with the Halloween. Mm, so okay. Uh, I think this has been a while in the making. Yeah. I know it was a bit difficult to schedule because I think they were trying to uh, rope in Thora Birch to come back, but she was busy filming other things. Interesting.
3: Um, As someone who yeah. cares more about Hocus Pocus than I do, would Thor Birch being <laughs> in it have meant anything to you? No, i mean the thing that i like the most about
0: hocus pocus 2 the movie that we're going to talk about now is uh it um feels like you could have done one of these every five years and just Uh had the witches show up for another subplot because unlike the first movie in this one the subplot between our uh three leads uh izzy cassie and becca uh is pretty much just Happenstance; it has nothing really connecting to the Sanderson sisters or witches. Well, like, it has a lot to do with yeah. Witches, they're it,
3: into witchcraft.
0: Yeah, it has a lot more of a um, girl power aesthetic than a uh, latchkey kids imagining what early nineties kids have to deal with. Like the first movie has that whole setup where they're trick or treating and like the bullies are around. This mm-hmm. uh, movie lives in sort of like a post bullying society, yeah. so. Yeah, the meanest character, uh, Mike, doesn't even know that he's bullying people is written into the plot. That is that is uh, really
3: a, a cute moment. Like it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. Which like and what the plot is is we can discuss. But he's just like I just thought I was like asking. I was just thought I was making conversation. I didn't know I was being a jerk. Uh,
0: that yeah. was funny. I mean, I think a lot of these. This movie is funny in isolation it just doesn't hold together as an overall piece yeah uh which i think it it ends up it feels a little bit sketchy as in uh sketch based uh uh, which i think works really well for the three sanderson sisters i mean everybody who's over 70 in this movie really showed up to play
3: (laughs) i would say sam richardson really is uh, locked in with whatever the tone of this movie is like he's just He has like a he has like genuinely funny delivery. And then is also does kind of the wide eyed like, whoa, I'm on an adventure, which is like the overall tone of the whole thing. I think I feel like he does both of those pretty well. Tony Hale, too, maybe a little bit less like he's just not in it as much.
0: Tony Hale, I feel like they gave him, like, one thing to base his character around. And he, he loves really caramel commits,
3: He just wants that caramel really apple. He really
0: commits to it. He's the, uh, an incredibly
3: inattentive father, but he loves caramel apples.
0: Yeah, and it, it sort of feels weird because they, they lean on that so much that when he does break up, you know, his daughter's uh, party with both sexes on Halloween when mm. he isn't home, we don't even see it uh, because... I guess it's too complex for him to act, wanting a candy apple and breaking up a party. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I wasn't disappointed with this. Mm. It just isn't as substantial as the first one, as, like, of a piece that is about Halloween Mm -hmm. that also has some, like, really good uh, gags. But a lot more of the first one's gags were sort of based in story. Like, yeah. my memory, of the first one was each one of the witches sort of has a key power. So um, the Sarah Sanderson, she gets to sing, and they do sort of like bring that up. Mary Sanderson, she could smell children, which doesn't come up at all because they're not out for children this time. And then Winifred was the one that was able to like conjure things out of the book. This one sort of rejiggers it at the very beginning with a Sanderson story back uh, flashback. A long uh, flashback.
3: Sort of, it maybe just felt long. Like,
0: no, I think it was long. I was only buoyed through it by the uh, delightful children actors. They were. Doing
3: I, I mean, we all we all know how I feel by kid actors. I did think those girls did did a pretty great job. Being being trying yeah. to play child bet Midler is not an easy task.
0: No, indeed, that's Taylor Henderson, and she. I think they all do a good job, and it also shows sort of what the like those three characters exist with sort of like a clowning base where if you get mm. like the the body positions and the way they move you could sort of pass those characters yeah. uh, around, yep. uh, which I think is also why it's so easy for like Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker to lock back into uh, Kathy Najimy. Najimy? Yes.
3: Yeah. Oh, or also the uh, drag version, which we see uh, later yeah. on. I mean, that I was think also it makes a fun a lot... nod to the, the, the reality of Hocus Pocus that we live with.
0: Yeah, and I think well, I think the only time it didn't work for me is at one point Bette Midler peeks into a window and somebody's watching the original Hocus Pocus, and I'm like, don't take me out of the movie to make me wonder if Hocus Pocus exists in the Hocus Pocus universe.
3: Yeah, so
0: some there's some fan service stuff like that, and then the other half of the story has been uh, rooted into like a uh power of female friendship uh narrative
3: sure which
0: yeah i mean it's a direction to take <laughs> i think it makes the whole thing a little less spooky and mm-hmm. makes the uh climax devolve into a whole bunch of well this is how the magic works uh yeah. which doesn't feel like it. Uh, a, a more successful iteration would have to lean. Well, on, and like you uh, have Sarah redefining
3: Des- stuff. You have Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy and Jimmy kind of finally doing something, being like, "We're standing up to you." Being bossy for all this time, it's like, is that really like what we we're supposed to have been clocking into? Like it'd be it'd be more fun if they all had like a bit, like you were saying, like a power or just like a a joke that gets made about them. They're kind of just like there as background decoration until that part at the end, which doesn't land all that much.
0: Yeah, and they do a lot of fun physical stuff. Uh, like, I like that uh, Mary gets slapped uh, so hard early on in the movie that it switches the side of her mouth that hangs <laughs> open for the rest of the movie, yeah. uh, which I think is fun. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker has a great background business to do since she has very little foreground business. Yeah. And I really did like the moments that they let her stop and complain. Mm-hmm. about how like oh that was my only job like i think yeah. that was still funny and keeping in it uh i just wish there was more incident overall i think in the whole movie yeah uh, it's
3: very low stakes the entire time
0: and yeah, you can you can
3: see like if there's any like suspense being like how do they resolve this like there's not there's nothing to that
0: right and then there, there are they're fun like callbacks like we get another uh bewitched dancing group of people uh but ultimately it goes nowhere they just sort of like find oh. tony hale and touch him and it stops <laughs> it's so weird uh,
3: it's good though the dancing is great
0: no yeah i i, I like all of it i kind of wish it chose one or two of its uh bits and really suck its teeth into it and uh made that the center story mm-hmm. because it really just does feel uh, divided between two intentions until the end when everything gets, like, smashed together. What are the and, like, two intentions, do you see... think? Uh, one is the witches who want to become all-powerful instead of just sucking the souls out of children, mm-hmm. which is introduced in the prologue, which is, you know, fine, but it's a switch of intention. And the other one is the girls uh, who have had a falling out and they decide to hold back the reason for the falling out uh until like the middle of the movie because really they just needed to have one conversation well, a and they single
3: conversation
0: have neglected having that conversation for months mm-hmm. uh, and i Which don't is think that
3: when it comes to teenage girls but just not really that's not really what the movie's about
0: yeah i felt that felt like a babysitter's club two-parter story less that than been, a hocus, been, hocus pocus two would have
3: been great on the babysitter's club listen
0: it would have pulled <laughs> yeah. that
3: off perfectly Bring it back. They made Doctor Strange. <laughs> they, you,
0: you get What's-Her-Face <laughs> back. Just yeah. third season uh, Babysitter's Club Netflix. Uh, but yeah, I I really think that this needed... I think the performances are there for what it is, which is a Disney Plus sequel, but I do think if they were planning it uh, for this long... Or if they had a reason to plan it besides promoting Disney Plus. Which they definitely didn't.
3: There's no way that this was like, I mean, I guess maybe someone had talked about it within Disney at some point, but there was no energy for this until Disney Plus existed. Probably was a good reason. We didn't need this movie. I think
0: someone just could have spent a little bit more time on the script and figured out why we were coming back besides just Disney Plus, because it really reads at this point that we came back for Disney Plus. Yeah. Look at these characters that could have been great in other things like they didn't need a hocus pocus too. you could have done like halloween specials you could have muppetized it like i really don't care <laughs> the the franchise at this point uh is the performances of the three lead witches yeah and i feel like they could they could pop up lots of places a lot of the sanderson sisters that i got before this that i really enjoyed was uh, them showing up on villains nights at, like, Disney parks. and you Oh, know, did they really do that? I didn't realize how,
3: I did not know how integrated they were into the the Disney parks thing at this point.
0: Yeah, they used them as, like, uh, costume characters and whatnot because, again, okay. the characters are just impressions of, like, clowning techniques, so you yeah. could train someone to do that and put a good singer in the Bette Mittler part yeah. and she could sing a whole villain song, so... I I feel like there's a future for these characters in something like that, in sort of other iterations of them. So this is just like uh, a
3: like a franchise refresh, basically being like, hey, this still exists. They're gonna keep showing up at parks. Like the the point of this is to have the IP relevant more than for the movie to be a movie. Yeah,
0: I think whatever anybody's uh, baseline subscriber number that makes this a success uh, was probably passed when they announced it, and therefore we're never going to see any statistics on it. And, <laughs> I, you know, if Disney Plus has them, uh, they're certainly not going to share them if they're bad. And I can't imagine them being groundbreakingly good. So I think this is it for Hocus Pocus. Um, unless, I don't know, you could bring the originals back and I animated something, but
3: it yeah, just seems... Yeah, or a box of cereal, as I showed you at my local Target. Um, or a box of cereal. Uh, actually, speaking of stories, uh, how much did this make you want to go to Walgreens? Oh, I mean, like a little bit. <laughs> so whatever, whatever Walgreens paid for that prominent uh, placement in this movie worked on you. I mean, they have the one of the best bits is in
0: the Walgreens where they convince them that the souls of children are in the beauty products. And uh, they...
3: See, the, the, the that feel like it went on forever to me and like was more product placement than a bit.
0: Hmm. See, that just sort of felt like they wrote it into the script, like, and then witches do something funny with the products. And then, then, then the witches, beauty products. W-
3: witches vamp at the beauty yeah. aisle. Like, yeah, I mean, that's entirely that, there's possible. There's probably a lot in
0: the script where it's like, and then let them vamp. And uh, it, it works. Yeah. It just doesn't hold together as a singular piece, I don't think.
3: Yeah. I wish there'd been more of, uh, you know, group dancing led by Matt Midler, ideally. Um, that sequence is like weird and kind of goes on for both too long and not long enough. And uh, less Walgreens, but you can't have everything you ask for, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Eh, I don't know. It's it, For what it is,
0: it was fine. I chuckled. It was a light afternoon watch uh, on October 1st. You know, what a way to kick off the season. And then like two hours after it I went and saw Smile and was terrified. So <laughs> perfect so, perfect job. It's
3: entirely possible to hear me in two years being like, Yeah, my kids have been watching Hocus Pocus every day in October or Hocus Pocus two every day in October. So then I'll be um fully into it. So Yeah, yeah. Day two. Yeah, I mean. Oh yeah. Did you watch it by yourself? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I think I think Charlie could have watched it, but like getting him to sit down and watch something new at home is a lot harder than taking him to the movies. So I kind of just mm-hmm. didn't try.
0: Yeah. Okay. So child size restraints for Charlie to see Disney (laughs) Plus programming. That sounds like something the
3: Sanderson sisters would support.
1: To, to wrap up our truncated, but probably not uh, disjointed <laughs> podcast of the week, uh, we're going to talk about something that I feel like everyone has talked about. So we're actually talking about it at the perfect moment. We didn't we didn't rush into things. I'm a ama- I'm amazed that we've lasted this long without talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Aren't you guys I glad I'm, we you know, didn't uh, say
2: blonde? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we almost did a blonde segment. Uh David David glide. I said was no like, more blonde. We have to go on a longer journey. We have to go to Mordor. Um no, that doesn't actually
0: happen. There and back, there again. back again.
1: There and back
2: again. But I did propose blonde. this segment because uh and you this did. is actually uh Everything David, is upside well, down. This is actually Yeah. <laughs> this is the conversation and... against
1: the Andrew Dominic art film and endorsing <laughs> Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power segment. Okay. Uh
2: Actually, after I had proposed the segment, but helping further justify it, Dave and I had a brief back and forth on Sunday after the latest episode of House of Dragons, a show that increasingly bores the shit out of me. Oh, we're going to talk a little uh, about this, he, too, by the way. So, and he here. tweeted, yeah, right. um, it's sort of unrelated, that that this was the episode, episode seven of House of the Dragon, where for him, uh, the Rings of Power finally sort of overtook it in his high fantasy, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't wow. know how the dragon's kind of fantasy, We were having this the fantasy series. series. So and and so I proposed the segment to Patches because I who love the Lord of the Rings movies, me too, don't really care about it, you know, beyond the movies, uh, but struggled with the first episode of the Amazon show, struggled yeah. with really watching any kind of TV at home like that. But uh um and was saying to Patches, try and convince me, uh, because he had just convinced me to watch all of Better Call Saul. I'm now on the penultimate <laughs> episode, uh, so try and sell me on Lord of the Rings, Rings of Maybe Power. Maybe
1: we'll end this segment just by getting your Better Call Saul take, since we've talked about it a bunch over the last few months, but we, we can get your gut take there. But, uh, I, I, David, would struggle to sell you on Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, because it, it is the most expensive washing over me and feeling nothing television show that I have ever experienced, and I, and I Really wanted to talk about it with House of the Dragon uh, in the air, too, because I I cannot experience one without the other. I mean, part of that is I just must watch both for work purposes. Um, But I feel like a lot of people who would be watching one are probably watching the other. And and by putting them out, Amazon trying to steamroll House of the Dragon um, and probably doing so unsuccessfully based on how much chatter I see about one and not the other... Um, I do imagine Lord yep. of the Rings. Nielsen's streaming money... ratings. No, I mean, look, look. look. Switched. Amazon is spending billions of dollars on the show and then billions of dollars to get the show in front of people. Every Amazon package I receive has Rings of Power branding on it. So I'm sure people are actually tuning in. Uh, They're just sending
2: is... me empty cardboard boxes now just to get more <laughs> yeah. fucking real estate in That's my like apartment. the uh,
1: print magazine industry. It doesn't matter if anyone subscribes, <laughs> give them away for free if the uh, ads are sold. Wow, bleak. Um, let's talk about The Lord of the Rings and The Rings of Power because I'm especially fascinated to learn Dave that you maybe that, that you are more into uh, Rings of Power these days. I to, to back up, people are not watching the show The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is actually based on the appendices of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. This is what Amazon was able to buy the rights to. They do not own the Lord of the Rings trilogy that Peter Jackson made into fantastic. Oh my Brody God, holds that's so up two decades later, I don't know if I uh, knew that. That's so <laughs> you didn't know that? Yeah, so Is they that, cannot.
2: So anything that happens use... in the Lord of the
1: Rings, they cannot, like, Frodo cannot show up.
2: So I I went. the first and only episode He's not I going watched, yet. I was fully so expecting them, not, them. I was not expecting Frodo to show up, but I was expecting them to use some of Howard Shore's music to identify certain locations. And you just explained to me why that didn't happen.
1: Yeah, this is not a WB production. Uh, in fact, WB is making its own Lord of the Rings animated movie that will come out based on the things that they own, the pieces of Tolkien lore that they own. Um, but the Lord of the Rings appendices are the only thing Amazon owns, and it's the only way—it's the, their way to carve out a prequel story to the events people know from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So what are we actually seeing in this show? There's things that people would recognize. Galadriel? Played by Kate Blanchett, Tar Kate Tar Blanchett. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she there's a young version of that character who's still hundreds of years old because she is an elf. Um, she's in she's in the show. She's a warrior. She is trying to figure out. That, and this is going to be the hard part for me: half selling, half even trying to describe what's going on the show. I find it to be very gobbledygook fantasy nonsense that is very hard to. Um, stick with plot-wise, but is gorgeous enough and has a lot of epic speak that I can get through an episode without falling asleep. Um, But I would say her quest to figure out what the evil is in Middle Earth now, um, after the war with Morgoth and her brother's demise and trying to figure out why what might be creeping up in, well it's not Mordor yet but it's gonna be Mordor soon. Is Sauron around? There's big mystery box questions in this show, David. Uh, like, who is the stranger? A man fell from the sky. He was on a. He was a meteor man, and he fell into the into the ground. And there's a guy who kind of looks like Gandalf, but is it Gandalf? I don't know. It's a mystery. Lots of uh, lots of echoes, as George Lucas would say, of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy in this in this prequel. And a lot of it is, you know, we get a young Elrond um he is young elron coming to cbs <laughs>
2: next next <laughs> fall
1: yes uh and he is he's kicking it with the dwarves trying to get uh trying to get some minerals possibly to make some rings i don't know if the title gave it away but they might be making forging some rings in the future dave is making all these spaces and i attempt to describe lord of the rings like it's just see it's like there's nerdier, just, see, more explanation to go into here. Nashing his teeth. You're, yeah,
0: you're not wrong about any of it. You're just also not describing any of it the way that I would. So I'm, I'm very interested in it. Yeah, and, and I'm it's curious a where
1: the momentum comes from. So there's just David. There's so many characters, and not in an Altman-esque way where we're bouncing around with with pace and momentum and and comedy. Uh, but but just so many plot lines and so much big like. We have to rescue these people. We have, there's a, it has been foretold that blobby bloop. Uh, nothing is grounded in, in character the way I, I've only realized how much the Peter Jackson trilogy works and how it works by watching the show, which is like starting on the most intimate level. Here's a bunch of goofy hobbits who are just in their own little town. Um, and, and with every step, they get closer to something world defining and seismic. Um, but it really starts so small and so personal. Uh, and and this show does not have that advantage. It can't start in one place with one character. It has to have 18 characters with lots of different plot lines spanning the entire Middle Earth map. And even, I think we're six episodes in, Dave, about to get number seven out of eight in this first season. And well, I, there are only I,
2: eight I, uh, for the billion fucking dollars? They got eight?
1: They got eight episodes, and it only now in the sixth episode I'm like, oh, I guess this is what the the show is a- about. So, so the orcs have a new leader; his name is Adar, and they're trying to do the like J.J. Abrams Star Stormtroopers thing, where they're like humanizing orcs, but it makes it a little tricky, and how easily they're disposed later on, and like Galadriel just wants to slaughter everyone, and she, like she's kind of the hero. It's getting messy, not in a good way, where it's like gray. Moral tale version of... Oh, I think, arts, it was, but...
0: I, I think it was always messy. You I think, think it was that's always what messy? The, that's the, the decision the show has made, is that it's going to dive into how messy this actually is. So I think it starts with, in episode one, we meet Galadriel, who is a warmonger in a time of peace. That is her character. So the series is going to somehow transition her from that into... Uh, what we know Tar, Tar Blanchet,
1: Yes. Tar Blanchet.
0: Yeah. Uh, who is much more uh, comfortable, you know, chilling in Lothorian and letting stuff happen and not being at the center of it. And uh she is politically sent to the westerlands by Gil Gallad, and we meet in the Southlands, this human colony that is being monitored by elves because they once pledged to Morgoth. So right off the, the kick. We have like this police state elf thing that is like. I wish it was so as interesting different as from the third saying. age.
1: If it was I not mean, illustrated like a DC comic book movie, if it was not so one dimensional uh, and kind of girl bossy in a in a vacant way, it would be so much better. Um,
2: and if it I was mean, just a show,
1: I, I should say that too. Like I wish she had eighteen more scenes per episode, but there's so much. To get through in, in this we have yeah, to bounce around think, to the Harfoots uh, we haven't even talked about the Harfoots David oh, the there, are Har-foots. No Hob- there are no Hobbits there are no hobbits. There are now Harfoots why are They're, there no the, uh, Hobbits
2: why are they have, too were, early they weren't around yet it's it's too early. Early. they weren't
1: around too early in the timeline of Middle Earth they had Harfoots and they love putting leaves in their hair and hiding under but bushes here's the thing.
2: The fucking... The, the Lord of the Rings are about some people walking somewhere and then flying back. And The Hobbit well, I mean, is also about is a guy walking somewhere and coming back. This show should be a bunch about a bunch of people walking somewhere and coming I mean, back. And, it, and there's, a, there's a little bit why, of it. it is. It's basically bad. Well, well okay. one well, of the
1: plots is that, except sold. then we also go to Numenor, an island off the coast of, of Middle-earth, and they just sail in it boats. Should, They're going all no. over the Middle-earth map in like two It should be
2: like a it should be like a JRPG where you have a core group of characters and every episode or every other episode, they acquire a new member for their party. And when they do, they all spin in a little circle and it goes yeah, and yeah. they join their party and you can futz with their stats in your little menu and see which teams work best together. And then they go off to the next adventure and you can have other subplots happening. Yeah, it's other just a whole episode but,
1: of buying potions. And, and, uh, I mean, XP. I would
2: love to see that. But the uh, yeah, grind it out for a couple episodes, get it up to a 22 <laughs> episode season like they used to. But the the first five minutes of the show, of like Galadriel making a little like paper boat as a kid and getting bullied, I was, it was the vibes were bad and strong. And uh the, some, the, the rest of the first episode didn't really sway me. With but, would... but one thing um and this is a question i'll pose to you guys because it was true of the pilot and you let me know if it's true of the subsequent five episodes uh is that no character let alone all characters are wearing really really dumb dyed white wigs is that uh, true
3: that's right that hasn't happened that's a can't,
1: big advantage stop stop i i well dave i i want to hear a little more about what you're really digging far into lord of the rings because as as david alludes you guys seem to be very down on house of the dragon as well sure we have not talked about too much on the podcast because dave if people don't know spends a ridiculous amount of time talking about house of the dragon uh in podcast form on trial by content on spotify, spotify. um <laughs> but I, I, the one thing i'll, I'll i want to say before you get into that is that there are people on lord of the rings like the actors that i'm into this woman I'm going to butcher this. Is it Morphid Clark? More? I'm sure that's, that's a how I would enough, say but- it. Okay, Morphid yeah, Clark. Yeah, I think you said I mean, it right correctly. I think yeah. Clark is right. Okay, that's what I'll call <laughs> it. Clark from also now right. um, <laughs> yeah. That's how it looks. So she was in St. Maude, a good movie. And uh, here, I think Maud. she I think she does a really strong job of, of uh, overcoming the writing a little bit, get- deepening a character who could easily just be that, scene from avengers endgame where all the women characters line up and fight thanos that is just the vibe of this show's feminism and and like whole approach to social issues and getting it into this fantasy show um it's very half-baked but she's a great performer and she is enigmatic and tough and i like watching her in the show and that goes a long way and same with the guy who plays young elrond who is not really in it that much his name is Robert Arameo. I think he was in. God, he was like, some, he's young Ned Stark. Uh, oh yeah, no, but he was in a movie recently. Was he in the? He was in the Empty Man. Oh my God, he's in the Empty Man. He he talks to. Uh, he's like an informant. <laughs> um, he's great too. Like, oh my he's God, he's in the Empty Man. And I find his whole Elven conflict, where like maybe the Elves are overstepping with the Dwarves. That stuff is interesting. There's just so. The show is so big and so obsessed. Oh, the music is awful. The guy, Bear McCreary, whose who's score for Outlander, the show Outlander, is actually quite good. He also did Ten Cloverfield Lane. The guy's legit. But, man, uh, I am missing the Howard Shore factor, David, in this show because it's so repetitive. It's so one-note, epic, big music, and every shot is a wide shot, and every shot looks like a million bucks to to, to no end. Like, there's no character work in the show, and that's where I'm confused how you guys could be down more on House of the Dragon, because it looks like fucking Shakespeare when I'm watching it back to back with The Lord of the Rings. I am really into House of the Dragon, and I don't know if it has to do with watching Lord of the Rings and just wanting this kind of chamber drama, this very character-driven, lower, smaller scope story, but I I, I, I really want to hear why you do not like House of the Dragon. Uh, in contrast to my feelings about the of the Rings.
2: House of the Dragons just has no respect for the fact that I'm watching it while keeping one eye on my phone. You know, like it's just <laughs> really uh, the, this the, past best, episode, the best episode about someone idolized, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be but, able to see it uh, even if I, yeah, I don't know. If but the, phone, uh, the first be episode of House of the Dragon, I really appreciated it because I was like, you know, paying like 65% attention and felt like I understood everything that was happening, which for a first episode in a Game of Thrones show felt impressive. And then not on my part, but on the show's. And then as it went on subsequently, the uh, the the degree of detail I need to be keeping with all these time jumps went up and my interest went down. Uh, and those things were kind of unrelated, but uh, not positive. Um, and by this point, you know, it's seven episodes of a season down already. By this point in the first season of Game of Thrones, which was not necessarily the fastest paced of the seasons, I feel like there was so much meat on the bone. There were so many characters and places, but you and love the things crown. That you were caring about in the big streets. just like
1: that. Where you're well, the thinking, crown is like, interesting and like sumptuous
2: moment? and has like clear thematic pull in every episode. It distills. It distills this sort of like rich literary uh, sense of, of uh, theme and purpose to these from these historical events, often you know inventing them if need be. Uh, and in this case, it's just like people fucking arguing about this fucking throne and about dragons and the dragons all look stupid. And it's always late at night. And we're always in a stupid fucking castle. And they're always talking about other people like a give a shit. And so, this is not what you time. needed after
1: a a, a, pande- a global pandemic where you spent a significant time at home. You wanted to get out. I don't out think it had out anything out to do with West West the West pandemic, West. but it didn't But like
2: mini mini uh, the pre- prequelitis, it always feels like you're shrinking something. And I think the thing to do with the prequel. In order to shake that off, this is go bigger. Um, I understand the shot is during a pandemic, but, you know, exteriors would have allowed for it. Um, I would hope in subsequent seasons, which, of course, both these shows have to have in order to save face from the like, humiliation, especially on the Lord of the Rings side of canceling a show after performing after investing this much into it so publicly. But uh, It's getting a
1: season
0: two.
2: Both, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, both the shows already got. I think it's going to get um,
0: all all five seasons or whatever it planned as because didn't they just buy it and commit to it?
1: Yeah, but I think that there's it's possible that it could be like shrunk shrunk down to three. But uh, I don't know. Fair, I fair. mean, as
2: long as I mean, you're talking about Lord of the Rings or House of the Dragon. Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah. I mean, because as long as twenty million people or so keep watching every episode of House of the Dragon, it'll go for eight seasons. But I don't think that's um, true at all.
1: Actually, no? I, I I think that more of these streamers. I mean, this is kind of a side topic, but House of the Dragon really feels like a three-season show to me. Maybe. I do not think this is going I mean, three I, seasons. And I don't think anyone wants a show to go that long anymore because of how well, much you have to pay the cast and how much well, has, your, and like logic, re- your logic rebooting is Rebooting right. and always having something new. Yeah,
2: I think they may have, you know, the contracts may have evolved. Um, but it's certainly in terms of bringing new subscribers, it behooves these networks, these streamers primarily, in which HBO is only partially with HBO Max, to keep having new product to bring people in. It's more beneficial for them to have a first season of Dahmer than a fourth season of Glow. But I think when you're a terrestrial uh, cable company, for the the most part, HBO still is and remains, even if there's so many uh, many views on HBO Max. And House of Cards is such a... House of Cards, fuck. House of the Dragon is such a (laughs) phenomenon um, and has so many people... It doesn't make sense for them to kill it off and have another thing take its place, unless that's another Game of Thrones spin-off, which might be the case. But because um, they have proved the uh, the legitimacy of doing that, unless they burn it out like Star Wars has. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I Dave has a whole podcast about this. I don't know. He does it. I really can't get into uh, can't really get into it so far. Um, maybe it'll click later on. But I I do not care about any of these characters. Amazing. Except for except for what's his face, the guy from The Crown of all people. I mean, these characters seem kind of interesting. I was I appreciated Matt that. Smith? Yeah, yeah, that he had some. Uh, he's not just like a Joffrey type, in that he has a heart. He wasn't ready to sacrifice whatever it was for his wife in the previous episode. You know, uh, some of that's interesting. But my boy Crabfeeder was poised to be America's America's next sweetheart. You know, the heartthrob of the century, and they just come off.
1: This is the crown
2: <laughs> equation.
1: I, Just show us the good parts I, of history.
2: I was already primed to name my next child crab feeder, and now <laughs> it feels like a mistake. But yeah, it'll be it'll
1: a be a little embarrassing. Uh, Dave, so when I, I, you're, I mean, obviously you're keeping up with House of the Dragon. And you're and you're in deep on that one. But do you do you find yourself thinking about these shows in the same window, or are you comparing them? And like, obviously, you told David that you thought that house uh, that lord of the rings was exceeding house of the dragon so you must be the comparison must be organic for you but what what, what where are they meeting where's the friction and like why is one doing better than the other whatever that means
0: uh, i think house of the dragon by being so character based is really fucking with itself in terms of the tone that it's shooting for where i feel like lord of the rings even though it's a light touch they spend so much time those first two episodes being like the light and the dark. The light and the dark. The light and the dark. And so we're on a D fantasy adventure. And sometimes you're just gonna have to spend time with the Harfoots and figure Ugh. out that their their society is brutal and they all seem like happy and whatnot, but they will leave you behind and take the wheels off your cart if you buck it's the fucked system. Up.
1: The Harfoots f- are evil. Well, what do you make up. of like we we spent a bunch of time in Numenor with I, I like by episode two or three we're introducing still new characters like the boat boy and his dad. That's a seal door. I know very it's a sealed door. He's you he is very important. A sealed door
2: as in a sealed door there.
1: Yes, yes, yes. He's on the show. He's such a twerp right now. I know he's important, but um, I like again seeding all this stuff in all at once. Like, take your time. The show is so expansive. I, I am curious I about mean, what, what's grabbing. The show is you taking it.
0: its the show is taking its time. When they, before it started, I'm like, I bet this first season's just about figuring out who Sauron is. But it's not. It's about the creation of Mordor because shouldn't the orcs also have their own land? And I'm like, that is completely out of left field. I see where token purists are kind of like, what the fuck? But even he never wanted to deal with that. He was just like, Yes, Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit. So the goblins and the orcs are basically said as, you know, the same sentence as the hillmen, and we're just like, oh yes, the brown people and the monsters, they're all over there and they're evil. This one has done, I think, a pretty good job of complicating the elves and the Southlanders who will eventually become, their land will become Mordor. Uh, I love this stuff with the dwarves. I love seeing a dwarf society... Uh, at its peak, instead of trying to regain some of its ruin. I think it's very joyful, and I think it's very fun. Um, the Numenorians I think they fucked up. But they fucked up the Numenorians by squishing, like, a hundred years of history into, <laughs> it all needs to happen in three days.
1: The the um, show has the appeal of, like, a visual visual dictionary. For me, I'm like, I'm glad I get to go to all these places. I'm glad I get to see all of this realized from the thought experiment of it all. But to your point, it's like, I might as well be flipping through concept art. I might as well be reading a comic book. It's it's not I mean, than I do are both of those the things.
0: There's three books of concept art on my floor right now because I was flipping <laughs> through them today.
1: So that might just be I'm not saying I'm it's a bad this... thing. I'm just saying it's not a dramatic thing.
0: There's uh, and the other thing is like they're both dealing with um, material that was written down in a book that was written down as an unreliable history. Or like these things are passed down through song, or these things are passed down through story. In the case of Game of Thrones, they're passed down through maesters or a fool called Mushroom. So that leaves a whole bunch of adaptation space to figure things out. I think House of the Dragons been doing a better job at that. But my problem with House of the Dragon is they have so much history to cover. Like we are in the prologue to what this series is supposed to be about. I love which that. Is, I mean, what it's is bad fine about that? That's taking because. Uh, because they haven't necessarily completely committed to taking their time. Uh, I think the show has some trouble, uh, trying to adapt all of this out, but also do time jumps. So the thing that really rubbed me weird about this week's episode is we have, well, no time jump. It wasn't necessarily it, but we have the new actresses, uh, Emma Darcy and, uh, it's not Amelia Cook. It's Emmy Cook. What's her first name? Emma Cook? I, I keep know. calling her Amelia Cook because that's my two Dragon Rider uh, ladies. Olivia. From Game of Thrones. Cook. And Olivia it's Cook. Emily thank
1: Carey, you. who played the younger one, and Olivia Cook from your favorite movie, Ready Player One.
0: Yes, yes, where she's hideous because she has a tiny birthmark on her beautiful face. I remember Ready Player One. Um, these two <laughs> actresses uh, show up. You're being up-
2: facetious for anyone out there. Uh, <laughs> and that, was, that was subtle. <laughs> thank you uh, Uh, they they do put a bark bark on her face in that movie and pretend like she's like the swamp thing all of a sudden even though (laughs) though she still looks great
0: um they these two actresses showed up in characters that I think were wonderfully portrayed by the um younger actresses but because of this like looping nature of this trauma filled stories where these two women are manipulated by the realm and all the men around them uh, this week they had to act out a lot of the exact same story beats that I saw them act out for the first five episodes. Otto's back his hand. Damon's back hitting on his niece. Uh, yeah, niece. Yeah. Yes. And um, it doesn't feel like as much growth as we got last week with the pivot to both of them being mothers in their own right. Uh, so I kind of felt it was a regression and we are touching base with these characters because we have to rush them to the point where they start fighting the dragons. So they took a lot of time at the beginning, and now I think they're uh, trying to abbreviate to get to an end point for the end of season one. But how that played out is we had a crazy change in the text uh, with Lenor at the end of this episode that came during an intercut sequence of Renera talking to Damon that ends with them getting married so yeah. we could set up the two factions later. It's awesome. Wait, what, what's the problem here? Oh, I think that's too fast. That's too fast. No, we love that. I mean, I just think if we're going to see all those things happen with all those characters, I would rather spend it more with uh, characters that have different points of view. Again, maybe it's because... I mean, I, I it's really just that part that bothered me, is I've watched... The older actors debate uh, simultaneously that we don't have a good line of succession and but we shouldn't do anything about it now for six episodes. And I've gotten little breaths of fresh air with something like Sir Kristen being an asshole. And I do like the new kids, Uh, but I don't think it's like uh, because of the nebulousness and the character focused uh, nature of it, it. Doesn't feel as epic fantasy ish. It's not. It's not. And it's it's
1: and that's why as a crown watcher, I'm really enjoying it. One reason I did not enjoy reading George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire books, uh, Fire, Ice Ice and Fire, um, is that I felt like I was reading too much fake history. Like I could not give it the time of day. Because like this, I'm just learning way too much. Um, and yet. I actually enjoyed reading Fire and Blood, which is just an info dump in kind of a prosy style. To your, You mentioned this earlier, but if anyone checks out that book, what's really fun about it is that it's kind of like a maester telling the story and getting different sources. It's almost like a reported feature, like a magazine story, because it's like, well, Mushroom told me X, but this person thought Y. And that the show in its adaptation becomes the definitive Version of the story that what we read in Fire and Blood is kind of murky, and now we know is that what not happening happened. for you? Is that no. not happening
0: for you in Rings of Power with Adar and Mithril and all of the stuff they've introduced? No, and and, there?
1: and part of it is I think, well, Martin being part of House of the Dragon allows it to feel more historical in its moments. Like I I actually like it in comparison to the Crown. It, feeling like we're getting the historical moments leading up to a major disaster in Westeros. So we're seeing very specific dramatic moments charted. Um, and that's why the time jumps have always made sense and and been easy to track because right now we're just going to see the most important thing that happens to this, this character X at a certain time. Um, and I find that to be very dramatic in its bubble moments. Uh, and it feels like there's a past and there's a future and in Lord of the Rings, uh, the rings of power. I, I I feel there is no history. I feel there is no before or after. As much as they tell me, it doesn't feel like history. It does not be I don't feel the weight of the world in almost any moment. I, um I think my I biggest, my, the most fun I've had watching the show is actually in this past episode, episode six, where they it's kind of their big battle episode. But even more importantly, it is this character Adar played by what's-his-name from Game of Thrones, which is hilarious, the guy who played, what, Brendan, Brendan Stark? Stark. Um, he is a great actor, and he is just mumbling, like, human rights stuff about orcs and Galadrials, they're being overpowering, and finally I felt like two characters with flaws were clashing with past, and future, and it was, like, the only moment in the show so far that felt like it had history.
2: Sorry, well, no. I appreciate the uh, the um, What's sort of word I'm looking for? It starts with a D. It's been a really fucking long day. The distinction. I guess we'll go to distinction. I don't even know if that was the one I was thinking of. Uh, It does start with a D, and it does apply. It doesn't make sense in this context. The <laughs> distinction <laughs> between we oh, watch boy. a lot of uh, and We have, we do have to talk about New Beavis and butt at some point. If oh only my so. god, it's I have a so good. To watch it. Yeah. Anyway, um I appreciate the distinction between the show that feels like it has a sense of history and the other one that doesn't. Uh, I do think that if this first season of House of the Dragons had more effectively. Conveyed so far in some way what Dave was talking about about it being a prequel to what the the meat of the show is going to be um, the the Midgar section to the rest of the games or the rest of the series is uh, open world in Final Fantasy VII if you will <laughs> uh, that would be really appreciated um, in order to give some shape to it I think I would enjoy it more if I sort of knew where in the so arc uh, of the show it is or just say like the general map um, I know that it's obviously. Where it is relative to the events of Game of Thrones, but that's not quite enough for me to care about all these people. I'm not someone who has read the the Game Game of Thrones books or the knows the Sillmarion or the equivalent. I don't give a shit. So I just want to have something <laughs> really entertaining. Yeah. It generally, blows, and I think that uh, it, it struggle to watch it when it takes itself too seriously. Um, I do not have the attention to fully invest myself in narratives uh, when I am not in a big dark room and deprived of devices, unfortunately. So I yeah, think you that, watched all the better calls than me. I have watched all of Better Curl Fall, um, a show that has, despite my AD, ADD, often wrenched me in, into the, onto the edge of my seat and looking directly at what's happening. Even if it does get tiresome when you watch that show in such fast succession as I did, um, to have every single scene just start from the premise of, like, here, we're, we're depriving you of the information you need for context, and we're slowly going to dole it out or give it to you later and just <laughs> repeat and repeat repeat. Um it, it, it grows tiresome, but at the same time, the show is wonderful. It has and so airport
1: much... novel quality. Uh...
2: Yeah, no, I that's, mean, but it, that's it, Vince
0: Gilligan learning on X Files, right yep, there. Is yes. what I yeah, think. I mean,
2: it's it's obviously that was baked into Breaking Bad as well. But it's truly—it's like every scene here. It's like start with a close-up on something, like spend a cold open watching this—you know—process. What are those ants do doing? Why? Are, what are they eating right. in this scene? And exactly. And then, like you know, an hour later or so, you get the answer. That—that um, that does I think you know find another mode. But at the same time, uh, I have enjoyed the show. I think more than I did I Breaking that's... Bad. It has me itching to rewatch Breaking Bad. Um, I'm very excited for the last two episodes. Uh, I. Is that where you want? Yeah, are? I mean, wow. but I also
1: really, you plowed through.
2: But um I like you know, uh, Jimmy McGill is a is a wonderful character. I loved uh Kim Wexler, who I'm assuming comes back for some sort of appearance in the last two episodes and uh, the relationship. Um for the most part, I appreciate it. Do I spoil it for you? It. Or? But like, no, you should not. But my favorite, uh my favorite part of the show by far, I think, is Mike Ermentrout, um, yeah. which is probably not all that controversial in opinion, but uh, I just thought that in the show where there was some prequelitis there as well, and like Gus Fring, uh, you know, he's such a great, he's such a fun character to to watch, um, but he's so fully baked in Breaking Bad, and they don't really dig i mean you get to spend more time with him and understand the machinations of how he's working here but you don't really dig any deeper into because it's, it's just a revenge thing like it's he's all motivated by revenge he's a very neat guy and it all sort of adds up against the salamancas but they don't really there's a lot of room to play there um as fun as it is to watch his character but mike ermentrout i don't know like seeing his sort of his moral decay and how much he struggles against it and tries to be it uh, tries to retain some sliver of his soul even while doing the devil's dirty work, particularly as it involves you know, the the Werner and the Germans and the fourth or fifth season. Um, it's all a blur to me and uh, the stuff with his daughter, Carrie Conran, recently seen in the Banshees of Inishure and soon to be seen in the Banshees of Inishure. I should say. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah plays I, I,
1: Mike's daughter on the show, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Wow.
2: Um, I just his character is my favorite part. I watch an entire spinoff. About him, although I feel like I kind of have because uh, he is so inextricable from the soul of to, to Better Call Saul.
1: kind of wrap up, like, Dave, do you think that there is anything in the Rings of Power? Like, it, it's not inherently, it doesn't have that kind of prequel vibe. It's not necessarily trying to be a prequel like a, a Better Call Saul, but it's also missing any elements. Like, there's not, we're going to go deeper on Mike Uh, in, in. Lord of the Rings uh, there's no, there's nothing it doesn't really, it, can't, it still hasn't vindicated its existence for me like why do we need to tell this story, there's no character entry point there's nothing familiar from Lord of the Rings that would make us need to go deeper in this moment it just feels like more Lord of the Rings, which is kind of how maybe the Star Wars prequels operated it's like we're just starting a whole new world here and getting you into it, those were not entirely successful, so Bye. It uh, depends bad, who you ask. A good ask. comparison point, but um, I don't know. Like, what what is drawing you in in terms of connecting to the Lord of the Rings that you liked before, and and being kind of a sec- do you think it's a successful prequel or is it just successful in its own right for you?
2: Answer shortly. This episode, this segment's gone for like thirty five minutes. Hey, this is
1: fun. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Uh,
2: uh, I
0: yeah. Uh, uh, is, is a successful prequel? Uh, I don't think we know yet. It's slow playing what I thought we would. Get, which I think was um quicker. Like there are several wars with Sauron before the war with Sauron, so I assumed we were going to get to more like battle episodes. But it seems much more interested in talking about like the origins of mithril and how Numenor is gonna fall and um <clears throat> Gandalf uh walking around with the Harfoots learning how to speak Middle-earthian. <laughs> um and those things, you know what? It's uh it's spending more time in that world that I like, and yeah. it's not doing things that I hate. Am I enraptured by it? No. But do I want to go and uh, read part of the Cimmerillion, even though they don't have, like, the rights after every episode to see what's changed?
1: Yeah. You like and huffing I'm, it. It's a good draw. I'm,
0: I'm interacting with this and Andor probably the most in terms of, like, shows I'm no, watching, whereas, andorsing. like... House uh, of the Dragon and She Hulk. I'm more just end. like I'm watching just to watch. Uh, I, I have I, stayed I, my show. tongue
2: from asking questions about Andor during the segment out no, of fear of prolonging the segment. Yeah, do not. Do we'll, that, no, Andor uh, is gonna, we'll,
0: Andor's Andor going to Andor going to be its own thing. Later. We'll
1: have to talk about Andor later when it's when we're in deeper. But maybe David, maybe we're just talking about fantasy be... prequels and <laughs> Better Call Saul. <laughs> David, First. to your to your, uh, big question, which is, can we sell you on Lord of the Rings? I guess that really, like, having watched Better Call Saul all the way through and loving to, to unwrap uh, Mike's psychology and, and go deeper on why Jimmy became Saul. Um, in, in Lord of the Rings, we in these first six episodes, we get the origin story of Mount Doom. Is that the kind of <laughs> character work that you're looking for?
2: <laughs> Wait, there was like an earthquake and the, the tectonic plate shifted and Mount My Doom left no, no. What am a, I missing? There's
1: a whole plot that leads to the I creation
2: of I don't know if you know Mount what Doom. happens
1: when water hits lava. Oh, but it's Mount Doom, baby.
2: Um, we'll yeah, see. That's, maybe, that's maybe this is one of those shows where there's a second season. I mean, obviously there's gonna be a second season, there but the be. people flip out for it. It finds its groove. Um, a lot of shows come into their own at the end of the first season and going strong into the second. So maybe that's the case here. Maybe that will be what pushes me over the hump. But at present. Uh, I do have, with all those 80s horror movies on the Criterion channel the, hey, right. you know, waiting for me to watch them, You're I, I do work. have a hard time picturing myself uh, watching the Lord of the Rings show.
1: Well,
0: well, y'all have time to catch up before season two, David.
2: I mean, I'm sure i have several years at this rate. Uh, Give me industry rings, season two. The season Rings three. of
1: Power. Two episodes left on Amazon. How many episodes left of the House House of Dragons? Three. Thinking, Dave, like four? Three, three.
0: Four? No, I think it's three. Eight, nine, ten.
1: Yeah, episodes left of that, and uh, I gotta say the best chamber drama on TV right now, The Good Fight, back for a few episodes in. Uh, yeah. If you're not watching it, it's a yeah. banger. That's where yeah. it is. We,
2: uh, Elise and I fell off somewhere in the beginning of the fifth season, even though we loved every episode, just like, Get life, back on life found now. a way, and uh, we got to.
0: So much TV. Terror. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Uh, it had lots of stuff in it. It was longer than we planned for, but that's, I'm sure, so much better for you guys. Until next week, tell the people where to find you.
1: Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightingintheworm.com. Amazingly, we have not been doing this podcast long enough to have reviewed the Lord of the Rings films, though we do not have episodes on those.
2: They're good. But, uh, we did. I it. bet
1: you we I bet you we reviewed the Hobbit movies in HD oh, yeah, or HR or whatever. Uh, so go back and listen to those. That, that's fun.
2: Uh, I am David Urlich, i for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter David Ehrlich writing on IndieWire, uh, doing a bunch of stuff. Um, you can find us all on iTunes, at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review, we'll read it live on the show. Uh, tell us what other TV shows you should be watching. Uh, Even if they're not prequels, God forbid someone just made an original thing. Uh, Keep tweeting at HBO to Greenlight and Industry Season 3. Uh, Why not? Um, And Dave, if uh, they would like to email us rather than leave us a review on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes, where could they do that?
0: Well, that's at at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You also heard Katie Rich, who you could follow on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. She's on the Little Gold Men podcast. She runs the Still Watching podcast, uh, which is also covering House of the Dragon, if you need more hot D in your life. And you could follow all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you could answer this week's lightning round question with pictures, let's say, for fun. In honor of Amsterdam and Hocus Pocus 2, what's your favorite cinematic trio? I'll see you next week. Don't bother seeing Amsterdam.
3: Police still offer no explanation for the series of five deaths.
2: Lady, I'm done.